Welcome to Dairy Intelligent, a podcast by VES Artex. Together we will meet dairy industry intellects and passionate dairy producers to discuss all things cows and connected technologies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of VES Artex's podcast, Dairy Intelligent. I'm your host, Annie, and today I'm joined by Dr. Mario Mandaka of VES Artex. So you may have heard that dairy barns are like snowflakes. There are no two that are alike. However, what if we could streamline barn design to improve design efficiency? Today, we're going to discuss the journey that Dr. Mandaka has taken to try and parameterize barns into the most important facility parameters and how they affect ventilation design. So thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Mandaka. Why don't you introduce yourself and give us some of your background? Thank you, Annie. Uh, as, she, as she mentioned, my name is Dr. Mario Mandaka. I have a PhD in biosystems engineering, um, really focusing on the computational fluid dynamics and computer modeling, applied in agricultural components, or in this case, dairy facility design. Uh, in my PhD and postdoc, uh, we did a lot of dairy facility design evaluations using computer models, as well as some statistical analysis, where I got the opportunity to work at the heat and mass transfer laboratory and the Dairyland Initiative. So I, I really enjoy taking complex systems, not necessarily just agricultural systems, and simplifying them using either mathematical or statistical models so that we can streamline their use and make it more approachable. Well, welcome. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So I'd like to start off and discuss your background in fluid dynamics and how that is useful when designing a dairy barn. Uh, I mean, it's useful when designing anything, really. The Ultimately, is what we do is heat and mass transfer. So anything that has heat or mass, we should be able to design. And cows are no different, right? So cows, for the purposes of heat transfer, are just generating heat. And for the purposes of flow, they're essentially barriers. But... That's not really, you know, that's a very like cold way of looking at it because they move and they have a, a day life cycle that, that we need to be aware of. So when we're designing a barn, there's there's the fluid dynamics that has sort of a limited uh, physical answer. When you model the airflow around the barn, once you get far away enough from the cows, it tends to be pretty similar as to how it's going to operate. So really that animal occupied zone is is where most of the computational modeling goes. But I don't know if we're at the point of standardizing uh, dairy barn design just yet through the use of models, but but we're getting we're getting um, answers as to how they perform uh, before you have to install them, before you have to invest in a system, you could run a model, evaluate the flow, evaluate the expected heat transfer. Have you seen in, in many of my and my advisors' publications, uh, looking at different angles on baffle design, looking at different uh, lately with BS artists looking at different fan angles and configurations, and seeing how that then relates to the animal, to get essentially a measuring stick of what's a good design, what's a bad design, or feasible design is a better way of saying it. And a lot of the groundwork for facility design has been laid out. Like um, we have a pretty good understanding of stall dimensions, of the 
alley dimensions and what it uh, what they do to the cow. Uh, unfortunately, that information doesn't always make it to the producers, um, and sometimes uh, corners or contingencies is a better way of saying it uh, are are made for either for pricing reasons or other reasons, and then then the cow may not have the best environment that it could. But we are still learning new things. So only recently, um, recently I mean years, maybe a decade or two, did we start slowing down tunnel barns. And we stopped trying to generate airspeed through air exchange or through exhaust fans. And we started doing it through circulation fans. So if you look at old tunnel barn designs, they'll have like 60 to 80 air exchangers and no fans over the stalls. Whereas now VES and a lot of other... Uh, fan manufacturers are starting to uh, do tunnel barns, 40 to 50 air changes with fans over the stalls. And ultimately, the cost end up being very similar, but the distribution of air at the cow level is significantly better. So both through on-field testing as well as modeling, we can make some of these evaluations and, and try to get an idea of if a design is adequate before we have to spend a significant amount or the producer has to spend a significant amount to test it out essentially. Absolutely. Finding a way to speed up that process, not only for um, whoever is selling that system, building that system, but ultimately for the producer as well. So they're able to get into that new and improved barn as quickly as possible. So can you talk a little bit more on um, some of the projects that you have been working on that are helping to improve and potentially streamline the ventilation design process? I mean, the, the, the CPQ tool would be the main one. But before that, um, I guess the, the culmination of the Dairyland Initiative work was the um, chapters uh, I wrote a chapter on ventilation for veterinary clinics, clinics of North America that kind of, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, puts us up to date on, well, up to date back then, it's been like five years, on the ventilation design parameters. One of the, I think, the tables that is the most impactful, and they still use it at the Dairyland Initiative workshops, is like the summer ventilation recommendations. And there's, there's I think, six or seven items ranging from 20 to 100 air changes and more or less showing that we really didn't know, right? Like the industry was doing 60 to 70, some recommending 100, uh, probably from uh, working with poultry since they, they tend to do similar designs like that. And there wasn't really like a a reason behind i mean there were equations like if you do the heat balance of a barn you get significantly lower air change rates than if you just do 40 air change rates uh, depending on what assumptions you make of course but the the idea of a standard tunnel barn wasn't really a thing uh, whereas now we more or less, unless it's a very specific case, a tunnel barn will have between 40 to 50 air changes with fans over the stalls. And anything beyond that is probably performing a little bit worse than that design would. So we've we've gotten, it, it's still, there's still things to iron out, but we're starting to see 
a combination, this, this holistic design of combining the physical factors and the physiology factors, right? Like physically speaking, anything past 40 to 60 area changes, when you look at the overall flow, goes above the cows. And uh, there's actually a paper that I did for tunnel evaluation. If you speed up the Etsos fans or the number of Etsos fans past 50 to 60 area changes, the airspeed that you get at the animal level, it's actually very limited. There's a very sharp diminishing return there, which is why we're starting to go down to 40 to 50 area changes, which is where you get your enough cooling, and then you add circulation fans. Um, so we are starting to standardize some things, but we're still very early in the process. And um, some of these projects that I've been working uh, keep changing, honestly, my mind, like to some of the design decisions. Um, we're starting to see bigger facilities. Well, not starting. It's been going on for a while, but there are significantly bigger facilities than the standard two to 500 cow so now we have multiple age groups in the same building. We have robots in the same building. Um, we might have a maternity area in the same building as the adult cow. So we can't just assume they're all the same anymore. The dimensions and the designs that we had before don't scale the same way. So just because you have enough air changes, if you keep making the tunnel longer, it's going to fail eventually. So there's a physical limitation on the length just looking at air quality and then you have to look at the physiology of the animals and how they react to a large environment and things like that but so there's been a variety of projects looking at from different angles both the physics and the physiology and and i think i mean we it, it keeps it keeps going i guess there's no there's no one solution, unfortunately. Once the climate changes and the requirement of the specific animal changes, then we have to reassess it. And that's kind of where I want to get to that. If what, if what we are reassessing is a more standardized parameter, then we can reassess it faster than if we have to go through every single thing every time we make a, an adjustment on the design. There's a lot to unpack and everything that you just stated. So let's start off with talking about the, the CPQ tool that you mentioned, um, which is a configure price quote tool. It sounds pretty abstract. Can you explain a bit more on what the process is and how that tool can be applicable to dairy barn design? Essentially, a CPQ tool is, it's easier for me to just give an example that I use a bunch, which is the Dell, the Dell computers. Uh, anytime you buy a Dell computer, you go through their configurator. So they give you the model, that Inspiron, whatever number, right? And then you can pick and choose parts that you can add to that model, like a better graphics card, more space, etc., etc. And then at the end, you get the total cost. And if it's outside of your budget, you you know you make contingencies. Well, maybe I don't need that big of a graphics card, and and so on. And at the end, you get you know a system and i don't know anything about dell but i assume they get a work order assuming it's not specifically in inventory where they put it together using a standard process and it makes the whole thing go a lot faster right so i get to have my computer faster they get to sort of scale their sales that's the idea behind it that we make it as accessible to the user as possible 
while also you know ultimately we're a business so the the goal is to improve sales within right so but those sales would ensure that we always follow the proper uh, design and we ensure that the producer is happy with it because it's it, it reduces lead time it gives them more information about potential design one of the big issues that we faced um, at the dairyland and just in ventilation design in general is often we have to design ventilation after the barn has been built so even if we did all the research in the world and found that well 14 inches above the or below the ceiling is the perfect location for the eave for optimal ventilation or something like that right by the time we get to the barn they already built it so we can't really just start cutting holes and, and block others i mean we could but no one's gonna like that so maybe by having something be more accessible uh, we could be part of that initial building design which sometimes happen but ideally it would happen every single time because ultimately it's a holistic system right the building has to work with the producers and the workers and the and the ventilation has to work with the the, the producers and the workers and the building so in, in a perfect world this would all happen at the same time but right now it happens a bit in series depending on on the specifics so i think uh having the cpq could help sort of push us f further up so that when decisions are being made we don't need the full specifics of the ventilation right we don't need to know this exact location of every fan but you know if you're building a specific barn and they want to tunnel it but they're building it with dimensions that favor a cross vent barn you know by the time it gets to us and they f they have it set on their mind that they want to tunnel then we have to ultimately provide a lackluster design because you know we we could have made a better tunnel or we have to convince them that they need to do a cross and so i think giving the power to the producer which is very similar to what the ultimately what the Dairyland Initiative workshops are, right? Like extension is meant to inform the industry so that they can make better decisions. And we all want the same thing. We all want the cows to do better because then, because then, well, the cows are happy, but then everybody gets paid as well, right? So I, I think this tool can help at a minimum provide that clarity uh, to producers so that they can start asking the right questions. But I think it, it can do a lot more than that, on both on research and on sales. So I like that, given the power to the producer. Let's look at the anatomy of a dairy barn. What are some design elements that are in all barns, all dairy barns? And how can we utilize this information to hopefully help streamline that design process? Why don't I put you on the spot? So you're an ag person. What's, why is a barn not a dairy barn and vice versa? What makes a dairy barn a dairy barn? Well, dairy barns are housing dairy cattle. They often have individual stalls, so free stalls for each cow to lay down in, as well as some sort of feed rail, um, self-locks, so cows are able to eat. Am I, am I close? <laughs> But, but you describe a freestyle barn, right? You, you describe a, a subsection of dairy barn because we could have an open lot or we can have a tie stall, which is similar to what you describe. But, and, and if you go back, honestly, not that far in history, we, we had a lot of tie stalls. Um, we still have a lot of open lots if you look at some of the older barns. 
But if you drive past a bunch of dairies, um, you'll notice that we don't have that red barn anymore, right? That tall red barn where they put hay on top. Now we have this more, what would you call it? Like almost like what a, a kid draws, a house, two walls and a slope ceiling kind of thing. Um, most new barns follow that that kind of design philosophy of two sidewalls and then you push it either lengthwise or or widthwise and then you add a slope ceiling and then there's the specifics of how it's laid out inside but what what I'm trying to do is break it down into this this very common like you mentioned you know oh they usually eat through feed rail so what does that mean physically right what does that force us to do so if you put a feed lane or a feed rail well that feed rail has to be in a place where the cows are standing so you need a feed alley the feed alley is more often than not connected to a stall and to be able to reach it the cows need a back alley so we we finish building the pen and there's there's no like arguing this right like you need those no matter what you may have more of them, or you could have some very weird-looking one, but ultimately the cows need to reach the feed alley so they can eat. And then where are they eating? They're eating at the feed lane. And then on the other side of the feed lane, you have the same thing but mirrored. So it creates this repeating pattern of stalls, well, alley, stalls, feed alley, feed lane, feed alley, stalls. So if you keep repeating that pattern, you can essentially create a barn for infinity. Of course, that's not what happens. They have limits, but, and then there's variations, right? Instead of stalls, you can have head-to-head stalls. You can have a tail-to-tail. You can have a three-row. I've seen a four-row ones, which I would never recommend. And as you make these decisions, you're changing some of the parameters that have already been found by academia doing research on animal welfare. Like, for example, a overstock three-row pen will have a harsher time with overstocking at the feed lane or at the headlocks, depending on what they have, than a overstock two-row pen because by the design they have more cows in the pen, but the same linear length of feed lane. So we can create these sort of correlations and, and evaluate them to the extremes and find where they break to then provide, one, a method of creating the barn because we already have that, we're, we're forcing this pattern, at least on freestyle barns, right? Open lots have the same. You need an open lot that needs, depending on if it's inside a building or not, it, they still need to eat, so they need a feed lane. So you design it very similar than a freestyle. And then that feed lane connects to the open lot through usually walls, because you're constantly filling it. And that's where you put your waters to protect the the water from reaching the bedding. And maybe not everyone does it that way, but that's like the recommended design way. So we can make a tool that looks at through well through looking at many of the designs. What where where are the limits? How far away do the waters need to be? How how deep does the pen need to be based on the animal space requirements? And and be able to create these layouts automatically based on this academic research that provides design numbers. Often we're a little bit over what ends up happening not always but 
the research numbers tend to be very, um, what's the right word? Um, like the animal needs X amount of space. And what we see in the industry is that they have a little bit less, usually due to overstopping or other reasons. But we're not here to argue that. It's just every single of these solutions has some limits that they have to follow, right? Calf housing needs to have certain amount of space per calf. So once you do that and you connect it to the, if this is group housing, to the feeder and the feeder has certain design parameters, once you put those together, then you end up with a pen and then you put pens in a barn and then you end up with a barn and it, it ends up being, following these patterns it lets you sort of create this, there's the barns that are a little symmetric, which not doesn't always happen, but, but they follow the the sign convections that you would when making a barn, and they let you get a good estimate, particularly with ventilation, because for the main barn KPIs of ventilation, we don't really care that much what's happening in the pen. You really just care about the total number of animals and the overall dimension. So if you can get those right, you can design a rough ventilation system fairly well, and then all the specifics come later, right? Even though we may have some different layouts from barn to barn, there's there's quite a bit of correlation. So I want to dive a little deeper into the ventilation design aspect that you last touched on. How can we use a configuration tool to ensure that the ventilation KPIs are being met? Well, there's, um, there's a variety of levels of accuracy, right? Um, for example, if you give me the barn dimensions, I can tell you how many fans you need based on air exchanges. You just take calculate the volume of the barn divided by the CFM of the uh, fans, and then ensure you get 40 or 60 air exchanges depending on the building. Uh, but there's multiple KPIs. There's the animal-based one, which is total number of cows divided by, sorry, total CFM divided by total number of cows, and that gives you your CFM per cow. Uh, then, and then you can estimate the cross-sectional airspeed, which isn't usually used for evaluating design. It's more of a just double-checking. Like if it's really high, you might have pressure issues. If it's really low, then you absolutely need circulation fans kind of thing. So, And that's just like a very basic one. Right? So what we've done with the CPQ is we've... we've I, I took what Dr. Nigel Cook taught me, actually. He, he went through... Um, assuming you have enough manure and food, manure handling and food for the animals, your only limitation is your parlor because it takes time to milk a group and you can only milk so many groups per day or they call it parlor turns per day. So so if you know your parlor and we can estimate 3.8 turns per for the parlor because that's the, that's not, it won't, everyone won't have that, but that's like the recommended one. So if you follow all these little design steps of how you would design a dairy. So you can take that, that gives you group size, that gives you your holding area. And then you take that group size and then you fill the parlor because there's only so many hours of the day, right? So if you, if you milk three times a day, you only have seven hours to milk per day because you need three hours for cleaning or maybe less depending on, on how you're managing that. But so you, that tells you how many groups you can have in a herd, in a milking herd, and that's basically your barn because every group needs a pen. So 
then we lay out that pen in different configurations and we can pretty closely estimate the burn dimensions assuming a specific design, right? So so th there are ways to sort of go through the design in the same way they would have gone through when they were designing the barn, which is, again, why I say it's, it'd be so important for us to be earlier in the design process because ultimately we're all doing the same thing. But this more or less lets us create some of these correlations um, that we'd like to study once we get uh, more data, like... Um, you know, if you change the sidewall of the tunnel barn, how does that affect the overall flow? If you change the number of pens, how does that affect the overall distribution of the flow? So we don't really have answers for that yet uh, in academia or in industry other than experience from people that have done it before. So being able to answer that with fluid dynamics and with data to show, you know, past, I don't know, past eight pens widthwise, the central cell splits into two. And that's very fluid dynamics terms, but like, it, it, and that has, you know, some meaning to some people, probably none of your listeners, but uh, it, it changes how you would approach a design, right? So we don't know those things. And that's, that's what we're trying to do with the CPQ, will, will, it's also going to turn into a database tool, right? Every every single quote that we make is going to have a design, and every single quote that we install, if it has derivatives or sensors, then can give us temperature performance. So over time, we should be able to build and make some of these statistical correlations between facility design and performance of the barn, at least relative to its current climate. So it's it's... It's a whole holistic system that has to work with itself. So once once we find those correlations, then creating these designs becomes easier because you either follow that or we know the barn's not going to work. So we probably shouldn't even be considering it if it's not, you know, if, they're, if they have too many groups for a parlor, then they're clearly going to be underperforming. So I don't care how accurate I am at that point because I know the ventilation system is going to be it's not going to be working or, or not the the herd is not going to be performing as well as it should and and the ventilation system ca can't be blamed essentially so uh but it, it's an ongoing process there's there's challenges for sure uh particularly as new ideas and new barn designs are coming along absolutely and we've talked quite a bit about how beneficial um utilizing a tool and a process like this is, um, you know, for us, those that are involved on the ventilation side of things, um, as well as earlier spoke on the value that dairy farmers can see just with the clarity. Um, but I'm wondering what about those other stakeholders like veterinarians or nutritionists? What benefits would they see um, by being at a barn that is designed with a tool like this? I wouldn't say it quite like that. I wouldn't say that a barn that was designed with this tool would have a benefit. I think it's more that this tool can help them get to the barn design part faster. So they don't have to calculate volume. They don't have to calculate the ventilation KPIs. It, it would be done for them. Um, and they can always you know, do it if they want to double check. But they, fortunately or unfortunately, depending who you ask, these other stakeholders you mentioned, at least 
in my experience, are wearing many hats. So a vet often has to also be the local farm expert for ventilation and nutrition, right? Or the nutrition has to know everything about bedding and comfort just because they're the one person that's knowledgeable that the producer trusts. It often happens that they end up having to answer these questions, which is where the extension programs at the university are very useful. But I think the industry should also be playing part of that, right? Like uh, we can be that sort of knowledge point. And if, if, if a bet has to evaluate a ventilation design, being able to do it quickly through the CPQ would let him focus on other things that he's, you know, caring for the cows and, and, as well as being a person that can sort of expand on the knowledge because ventilation is pretty important. It's it's And it's fairly cheap in terms of like the overall farm costs, uh, depending on the local electricity prices. But at least in the U.S., it tends to be pretty cheap. But, but if you get it wrong, it can be such a disastrous uh, cost on the animals and the producer. So giving tools to the people that are informing the producer and helping them make decisions and giving them tools that will empower them is beneficial for everybody. So I, I see, you know, this, this, the Dairyland Initiative workshops, the, the spreadsheet that I created for the Dairyland Initiative, they're all variations on the same goal of providing accessible knowledge to producers through an expert through a local expert. So finding ways to do that as an industry, I think, is is particularly important now that extension programs are becoming rarer and more limited through the universities and producers have fewer and fewer persons to turn to answer their questions. So, Well, and I, I think it's just a, a real win-win for everyone, being able to become more efficient and productive. With tools like this available, do you think in the future we will have the ability to build maybe near-perfect barns? I guess it depends what you mean by perfect. There's a there's a famous saying that I'm sure I'm going to misquote from, uh, I forget which one, Ragu, one of the sauces that's like, there's no perfect sauce, there's only perfect sauces. So we can't really make a barn that is going to work everywhere. That's not a solution. Just how there's, you know, when they're asked, well, what's better, tunnel or cross? I'm like, well, it depends, right? Like, what are, what's the local climate like? What's the overall layout of the barn? What's the production rate of the animals? And what what bedding type do you have? So all of these things are going to affect how well a design performs. We could optimize the signs or sauces per se in in specific scenarios right like a tunnel barn in an arid climate but a tunnel barn in a uh, subtropical climate will look very different and will operate very differently but they'll follow the same similar operating schedules based on temperature and humidity and and so on and so forth but so I, i don't think there is such a thing as a perfect barn but I think we can uh, speak about all these different barns in the same language so that when we're comparing them, it's not just, you know, a tunnel versus cross is better. It's really like, oh, a tunnel 
has a really good distribution using circulation fans, but it's limited by width and length. And uh, Cross does a really good job at hitting the animal occupied zone, uh, but tends to have higher pressures due to baffles. Like those kind of parametric things that, given enough time and fluid dynamics, we could then say, well, the distance between baffles on a cross is optimal for distribution at X amount, right? Like, and then that can help inform the sign decisions. Maybe we put a drover lane between every single head-to-head because one, it gives access to people, but um, it improves the airflow. Like, I, I don't know, but I think more specific things like that is what we're going to start seeing rather than, you know, here's the perfect tunnel. I think it's more like here's a tunnel that performs really well in Wisconsin. Here's why. Here's the here's the pros. Here's the cons. Here's what's going to be the most costly or most annoying part of it. And then the producer has to make that decision. But right now, I don't think they know, right? They just see tunnel cross. And if you look at the KPIs, they all look the same. So it's it's really challenging to make an informed decision. And then you they have to gauge whether the information they're giving them is true or it's just a sales pitch. So it, I think being able to discuss everything with the same language will help make it a lot clearer for producers as to what's happening and ultimately to, you know, these things, you know, these things work. Ventilation works, and often is is not the main focus. When I think it, it should be one of the kind of the main pillars of designing a dairy, because you you could lose a lot on the animal welfare side by having bad ventilation. So, I know that was a little bit of a tricky question, but I really really enjoyed your explanation on peeling back the layers and just giving producers the the information on their own barn so they can make the best decision possible, you know, not only for themselves, but for their cows. So we're now at the end of our conversation. Um, but before we go ahead and wrap up, um, I've been asking each of our speakers um, that are on the Dairy Intelligent podcast this last question. So Dr. Mandaka, I would like to know, what does an animal-centered environment mean to you? Let me give you the more academic one, which is, uh, we do have a name for this. It's called like a physio-environment analysis. So it's like um, how the environment and the physiology and the animal react to each other. So when a cow breeds, it adds humidity. When the air is humid, how does a cow breed? And and these relations and how they react to the facility design. So it's this really complex heat and mass transfer problem that's constantly affecting itself and all these parameters are changing each other and they're, and they're codependent on each other. Um, so in terms of modeling, it's like this very exciting world of how do all these systems work together and how can we simplify them with mathematics. Uh, on the more cow side, well, ultimately, what everyone wants is to have the best environment for the cow that it can you know, we design it with the, the animal sort of in, in or the, in this case, the cow uh, first, right? So it maximize its production and its health uh, without, you know, and, and sometimes to the detriment of uh, uh, workers, there's, there's been a, there was actually a study on, on how in very cold climates, 
we do such a good job at keeping the animal environment at specific rates that a worker may have to travel, you know, when you work from different buildings. So you're going from like minus 40 to 20 to minus 10 to all, all in like the same hour. So, and that has a certain detriment on the body. So it's, it's this idea of ensuring that all the needs of the animal are met. No, that was wonderful. And true to you, you have to answer exactly with how you feel. So I really appreciated that. Well, thank you again, Dr. Mandaka, for your time and your insights. I think we all learned a little bit more about streamlining barns and the value that it brings to producers and their cows. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening, and we will catch you in our next episode. Thank you for joining us for another Dairy Intelligent episode. We hope you have found some suggestions to improve cow comfort on your farm or simply just learn something new. If you have not already, please be sure to subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast platform and let your friends know about us. We would love to have them listen and learn.